Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. So when we left off last time, the seven sons of Sceva, which incidentally sounds like a sick name for a band, doesn't it? Like you can hear them headlining Lollapalooza, the seven sons of Sceva. Anyway, I mean, unless you know their background. So the seven sons of Sceva had been attacked and beaten by a demon-possessed man. And that shocked the Christians in the city into repentance. It shocked them into coming to Paul and admitting that they'd kept one foot in their lifestyle of superstition and sorcery. It shocked them into bringing all their books of spells and burning them in this huge public fire. And scripture says the books they burned were worth millions of dollars. But not only did they turn their backs on what they owned, it drove them away from continuing on in that lifestyle. I mean, they didn't buy any more books. They didn't buy any more crystals. They didn't go to any more tarot card readers. They didn't go to any more fortune tellers. And that upset the economy. And nobody likes when you mess with their money. I want to talk about the upheaval in Ephesus today in a message we're calling The Coup. Now, when the Ephesians saw that this Jesus that Paul was talking about was obviously real and that you couldn't just claim his name like Sceva's sons attempted to, the spread of people receiving Jesus, it accelerated, uh, which caused some unforeseen problems for the Jewish leaders in the city. But knowing how Paul had garnered the protection of Galileo before he left Corinth, if they wanted to catch him up, they had to get creative. So they thought up a charge that had the potential of not only working, but potentially proving fatal for Paul. They thought they might finally be able to get rid of him once and for all. You see, prior to his return to Ephesus, while Paul was in Jerusalem for Passover, he met with his friends from the Jerusalem church and he heard about their heart to continue helping the poor, but also about their struggle to make that happen. Lacking Gentile members, the Jerusalem church, they didn't have a lot of extra money that they could use to help widows and orphans in the city since Jews were required to pay a portion of all of their money to the temple. So Paul, he came up with this plan to activate the churches that had been popping up throughout his travels. He'd, he'd have his Gentile converts people who weren't required to give to the temple, he'd have them send money back to the mother church to help them reach people in God's city. Then any excess after helping the poor would then allow the church to send missionaries to share Jesus in parts of the world that Paul hadn't yet been able to get to. 
So when he arrived back in Ephesus, he launched the plan there, then sent word to the other churches in the cities that churches had sprung up and told them to do the same thing. And while he preached in Ephesus, he went back to working in his leather shop. He did that so he could maximize the amount that was able to be sent back to Jerusalem. And in the midst of this, he's... He's not kicked out of the synagogue, but but he feels this tension like he felt in other cities. And so he knew what was coming. When all of these pagans began to fill seats in the synagogue, Paul just decided to take his teaching and his converts and go somewhere else. But when he took his teaching and his converts and he left the synagogue, something he never intended started happening. Unbeknownst to him, his Jewish converts stopped paying their temple taxes to give their money to Paul's efforts toward Jerusalem. Like for them, this was personal. This was the mother church. This was the city of God. This was the place where their hearts were drawn. Some of them probably had family there. And so they stopped giving to the synagogue so that they could tangibly, practically give their money to the poor in Jerusalem, which wasn't just against their religious customs. In the empire, that was actually illegal. By several decrees of Augustus, the Jews had secured imperial protection for money that was raised to support the temple in Jerusalem. And anyone who tampered with those funds, whether they were a private citizen or the highest ranking of Roman officials, they all suffered the same severe penalties that they suffered by defiling a pagan Roman temple. And this was especially monitored in Ephesus because Ephesus served as the gathering point, the forwarding center, if you would, for collections from all the synagogues throughout the rich province of Asia. And so in the fall of 53 AD, the treasurers in Ephesus, they noticed this decided drop in their donations. And it didn't take long to uncover the cause. This large number of Jews in Colossae, Smyrna, Pergamum, and other cities where churches had been started were following the example of those in the Ephesian church, and they were transferring their contributions to swell Paul's fund for what they called the poor saints in Jerusalem. And again, Paul hadn't told his converts to stop supporting the temple, but many of those who'd been forced out of their local synagogues, they just refused to fund them. Uh, But their giving trend, it was a double-edged sword. Yes, it showed how rapidly the message of Jesus was spreading, but it also provided Paul's opponents with a fresh line of attack. They lodged a formal accusation of temple robbery before the governor of Asia, alleging that Paul had misappropriated money that lawfully should go to the temple of Jerusalem. And I wonder, have you ever had anyone use your good intentions against you? And the governor, he really could care less. He, it really didn't matter to him about the accusations, but quite frankly, he also couldn't ignore them. So he ordered Paul's arrest. And being a Roman citizen, Paul was temporarily confined, but because of his citizenship, he was confined in reasonable comfort. He was in a room of the Praetorian guards at the governor's palace. And he was there because the Romans had developed the philosophy that their citizens were considered innocent until proven guilty. 
And so rather than take the risk that they may be innocent and unduly punishing them and then having to go back on that, rather than risking that, they just treated them kindly until they discovered that they actually were guilty in case they weren't. Uh, But Paul understood all too well if he was found guilty, he wouldn't have to worry about the conditions of his imprisonment. He could expect a horrible death. Unless he appealed to Caesar himself, if found guilty, he would be used at the next gladiatorial games in Ephesus, where he and other criminals would be stripped naked and without weapons, they'd be thrown into the arena where wild beasts who'd been starved for two days would be released to tear them apart or eat them alive. Uh, But with that in mind, in his waiting, Paul's conditions, they weren't oppressive. Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila, and other friends, they were able to visit him frequently. He, he was even allowed to go to the city to continue teaching in the school of Tyrannus for short periods, provided he was chained to a prison guard. And in the midst of that, the pace of his life slowed. He entered a phase where, more than ever, he was at peace. He had no sense of frustration and could at last say that he had learned that whatever his state, he was to be content. While locked in his room, he prayed regularly and audibly. When he turned to his scrolls of scripture, he read audibly as well, since the ancients hadn't yet discovered the modern act of reading with their eyes alone. That wouldn't start until late in the 12th century. So with each prayer spoken and each scripture read, as soldiers overheard, seed was planted and took root. They were also captivated by his kindness, by his courtesy toward them, his patience and his easy laughter, his lack of resentment and interest in their homes, their families, and their backgrounds. Not surprisingly, the soldiers had long, uplifting conversations with Paul, and the consensus circulated that his imprisonment had nothing to do with temple robbery but was just frankly for Jesus' sake. Before long, many of the soldiers converted and Paul's guards became his disciples, his companions in prayer. And as word of that made its way up the chain of command, the chief officers of all of Asia, including the president of the provincial council, men who would never have stooped to attend Paul's public teachings, they became intrigued enough that they sent for him so they could privately hear the message of Jesus. And at that, several of the most influential, important, powerful people in all of Asia became believers and dear friends of Paul's. And that would help Paul recognize that whatever happened to him had really served to advance the gospel, which helped stave off fear and intimidation in Paul's local converts. It enabled them to step forward and fill the gap that was left by his absence. I mean, he could speak out in public, but he could no longer be in their homes. It was literally the flip of what we're seeing happening now. Paul would say that his imprisonment gave most of the believers more confidence to boldly preach the message without fear. Even though this group of false Christians whose actions dogged Paul elsewhere hurried into Ephesus and began to set up a rival church when they heard that he was confined with the only intention being to stir up fresh trouble for Paul as he lay in prison. 
Paul didn't mind. In fact, he said, what's it matter? One way or another, whether in pretense or in sincerity, the name of Jesus is moving forward. And because of that, I rejoice. In spite of his circumstances, he was happy. He was content in knowing that God's ways are higher than ours, that his word, it won't return void, that God will accomplish what he pleases and he will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. So like Paul in the middle of prison or for us in the middle of a pandemic where the pace of many of our lives has slowed, I wonder, how are you maximizing your limitations? How are you using your restrictions? What's held you captive that you could be redeeming? Were you at one point abused? Use that to reach people who are abused or who had been. Did you used to be an addict? Use that to reach addicts. Were you held captive by anger? Use that to reach people held captive by anger. Like, bro, I understand where you're coming from. I know that you're burning hot right now. I know that you're ready to blow. I've been there, but it's not the answer. Like, did you used to struggle with mental health? At some point in your life, did you struggle with depression? Were you bound by that? Use that to be a light to people who are struggling with their mental health, who are searching for healthy emotions. Divorced? I know that you're disappointed by that. I know that for some of you, you're embarrassed by that. Use that. Redeem that. Because this thing that the enemy meant to distract you or discourage you, to derail you or to destroy you, it's not destined to win. It's just a coup. And it's meant to intimidate you and isolate you. God will accomplish what he pleases. And he will prosper in the thing for which he sent. And that thing for which he sent, it's you. So are you gonna let our current circumstances and challenges cause you to crumble and cower? Or are you gonna stave off fear and intimidation and be activated? Be enabled to step forward and fill the gap left by the absence of a building. What are you doing to step in the gap? What are you doing to reach people who need Jesus? Because can I tell you, like those guards who were watching Paul, you never know who's watching you. You never know who's waiting for someone to lead them to the way, the truth, and the life. But we better start paying attention because it's a matter of life or death because no one comes to the Father except through him. Would you close your eyes? I wonder if you're watching this and, and, and maybe you're somebody who, who hasn't come to the Father. Maybe you're somebody who you've been spiritually seeking. You're somebody who your life is imploding. And in the middle of this pandemic, all of these things have been festering to the surface and you've been feeling dissatisfied. You've been, you've been feeling this void, this hole, and you haven't been able to identify it. The great late evangelist Billy Graham said, every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart. The only thing that will fix that is Jesus. And so today, maybe you're that person who needs to come to the Father through him. And so this morning, we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that. In the church world, we call that salvation. 
Salvation just means a rescuing. I wonder, do you need to be rescued today? Scripture says, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, mean it in your heart, repent of your sins, you will be saved. So today I want to give you an opportunity to do that, to turn your back on the thing that's been holding you captive and step into a new adventure, to step into a new life, a new journey away from who you are toward becoming more like Jesus. And here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to pray a few words in a prayer. And if you repeat those words after me and you mean them in your heart, you'll be saved. So will you repeat this after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you come into my life? Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, everything you've ever done wrong in your life has just been deleted. It's been erased. Scripture says that it has now been thrown into what's called the sea of forgetfulness. You get to have a new beginning. And we would love to walk this journey away from who you are toward who God wants you to be, which is more like Jesus with you. So if you just reach out to us, if there's a button on your screen that says, raise your hand, if you're choosing to follow Jesus, if you'd click on that, or you can send us a message. We just want the opportunity to connect with you. But beyond that, maybe you're watching this and you say, Sean, like I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but maybe you're like those people in Ephesus who who heard about the sons of Sceva and it clicked in you that you had one foot in and one foot out and you've been holding on to some things. You've been dormant, but today you want to be activated, activated to reach your family, to reach your friends, to reach your neighbors, whether that's through a pocket at your house or whether that's through coffee with somebody, whatever that may be, you say, Sean, I'm ready to be activated. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And so God, for my friends who are watching this, God, people, they love you. They're like headed to heaven, but they've been dormant. God, I pray that you would activate them right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would well up within them and push them toward the action that you'd have them commit to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.